Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season really is a year-round event. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week, we are joined by a special guest and friend to all of us, Matt Patches, who is the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist, and he's embarked on a very specific project, which is keeping a list of the year's best movies throughout the entire year, not just at the very end of the year, like most top tens. So if you thought that was hard, how is he managing to find anything we're seeing that came out in February? Believe it or not, he has, and will explain it to us. From there, we'll move on to a conversation about Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some, which is one of those spring releases that is really worth your time, in which we have all managed to see, even though it is a dry spell for some of us seeing movies. Before we get started, though, uh, I usually say this at the end of the show, but I wanted to say now that if you can rate us and review us on iTunes, it makes a very big difference for us in finding new listeners and getting attention. And hopefully you're enjoying this kind of off-season version of Oscar discussion, and we want other people to enjoy it, too. So do leave those reviews if you can. I rebel. We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it. Is that clear? Yes, sir. But before we get started, a look at this week in Oscar news, which is kind of the week in blockbuster news, just based on what's been happening. Uh, It's brought two new trailers for huge films that have awards potential, and both of them happen to be spinoffs, which is a weird coincidence, I think, but also probably a sign of where Hollywood is headed. Let's start with Rogue One, which is, I think the official title is Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. It comes out December 16th, which is almost exactly a year after The Force Awakens opened. It released its first trailer last week. Mike, you were just saying that uh, it had a big impact on you when you finally watched it. I got weepy at the end of it. (laughs) I've watched it twice, and I loved both of it. And you know, it's funny, Matt Patches is coming to talk to us because remember we went to the opening night yeah we saw force, awakens, force awakens and i was totally swept away and on board and matt was bothered by it because mm-hmm. he felt like it was too much of a retread of the old star wars movies and you know I, I then tried to watch it again on a plane and i was just like yeah I, you know i get it i get the com- critique but i think you were the one who said don't worry, there's going to be yeah. hundreds more Star Wars spinoffs that have nothing to do with the originals. This is your last like nostalgia hit. Enjoy it while it lasts. 
But I'm excited that they're going to take this in a whole new direction, that we have a female lead. Another you know, female lead. Right. And and that we have Felicity Jones, who, you know, looks kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just and, – and it seems like a smaller kind of story that's not as crazy sprawling. It's about, you know and, – and I love that it's being billed as a heist movie. I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a Star Wars period piece, you know, because yeah. it takes place back in the original time. And uh, yeah, yeah I think – right before the uh, – it's, it's the theft of the Death Star plans that kicks off uh, the first Star Wars. Right. So we have Mon Mothma, who we see, you know, she has one line in, in the original movie and talks about Bothan spies dying to bring them this information. Is she a Bothan spy? We don't know. A well, lot of people it, on the internet. What a Bothan well, that's the thing is. is a lot of people on the internet were like, she, they said Bothan, she's not a Bothan. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Do you have some inside <laughs> knowledge about what that alien race looks like? Um, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of chatter when the trailer came out, which I think is really well cut and really exciting about like, oh, can't wait to hear the fanboys upset that there's a woman. I read more comments saying can't wait to read these angry fans than I read comments that were actually from angry fans about it being a woman lead. You know, so I, I don't know. I think maybe we're hopefully we're, we're, we're at a point now where that's kind of not shocking and, and everyone's like cool with it because I think it's exciting. And Felicity Jones is great. And, yeah, and it's, um, it's not just that it's a woman in the lead. It's got this really diverse cast like all over. I mean, there's like you know a lot of white guys who are exciting like uh, Mads Mikkelsen and Ben Mendelsohn. But Forrest Whitaker has got a prominent role in that trailer. Donnie Yen, Diego Luna, Riz Ahmed, like all of these people who are coming from all over the place to mm-hmm. create this portrait of rebels who would all look really different from each other because it's like this intergalactic force. It's a yeah. it's a total logical extension of the diversity that started in Force Awakens. It's also really exciting. Well, and, and Ben Mendelsohn being in there is yeah. incredible. That's mm-hmm. really, really exciting. There's one shot of him and he's he's in this like weird white robe and he looks villainous but you don't know why and yeah he usually looks so greasy in movies and, and this, yeah. he's like this like you know prissy empire kind of guy i don't right. know it's well anyone who's seen him in gods and kings the oh, ridley boy. scott moses movie he plays this sort of i don't know fey swishy like local governor who's just like you know being fanned with big leaves and whatever like like <laughs> i hope it's not like that over the top but he can play a good sort of cleaned up okay uh, villainous leader kind of guy yeah so, i think of yeah. him as Animal Kingdom bloodlines, oh, right, you know, right, exactly. Sh- Place on the pine, greasy. Yes. he is oh, a yeah. terrific villain, no matter what sort of range in the socioeconomic. Really you know, amazing. And playing. then the fact that Darth Vader is coming back. Uh, is he? A, a... That's what I've been reading. I've been uh. reading all kinds of stuff about the casting and the question of whether James Earl Jones is going to come well, back. Well, it's and set do on the some... Death Star, so yeah, that's on what some they level. say. I don't know. I may have yeah. gone down the wrong Star Wars Rogue <laughs> One internet hole, but well, I've... so so, uh, so awards wise, am I crazy to be bringing it up, or do we feel like this is going to have the same you know presence in awards season that Force Awakens? Well, the art direction looks beautiful, and you know I'm sure the special effects will be good. And, oh, we should uh, do we talk about that? It's directed by Gareth Edwards, yes, who made um, who's made a couple movies now, right? But but Monsters is sort of his most prominent mm-hmm. And then one. he made Godzilla, Godzilla. which was a oh, very right. good yeah. blockbuster. It was, yeah. And really, he makes these very kind of painterly, beautifully constructed movies that sort of um, that hint at more than they really directly show. At least, I mean, Godzilla up until the very end, then you see everybody. But like, you know, it's just sort of the hints of scales and, you know, eyes. And, you know, he's really good at sort of building that tension and, and creating yeah. these beautiful looking movies. So I, I think on that sense, I mean, you know, it, it could it could do well at the Oscars. And, I mean, I mean, I think there's room to talk about performances, like if it's a good movie. I think Force Awakens kind of set up this franchise as being highbrow in a way that it didn't feel after the prequels. Right. That, that, you know, if this is a really good movie, it could be considered on its own. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there is precedent with Sigourney Weaver being nominated for Aliens, you know, yeah. uh, that 
you know, an action heroine in, in the right sci-fi movie can can get can, can get in there. And you know, and people love her. I mean, she was nominated for Theory of Everything, well, and I think jokes. it's great that yeah. her that the, her Theory of Everything character is now getting her story told in in Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's what she was up to the yeah. whole time. Stephen yeah. Hawking was in the wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Felicity Jones did acquit herself very well during that mm-hmm. Oscar season. I think she mm-hmm. made a great impression on all of those folks. And there's no question that the people involved in Star Wars are the establishment at this point. You Definitely. know, Kathleen Kennedy, this is not an upstart thing. And and it's not and it is does have a bit of a prestige factor. I could see the Academy folks being like, Okay, you had your Star Wars comeback run and now we're <laughs> gonna go back to the kinds of movies that we do uh-huh. unless this thing is like mind blowingly amazing. Right. But we'll see. You know? I mean, as we've discussed with Mad Max, it kind of set the template for if you're a really well-constructed, inventive blockbuster with a lot of imagination, like, you really can make the case for yourself. And this coming out in December, in the heat of all of the hype, like, it could hurt it, could help it. You never really know. But Well, yeah. And at some level, the Oscars reflect what people want for the industry. And obviously, unless you're brain dead, you want one of the things you want from the industry is big blockbusters that are good and make a lot of money. And are inventive. Like, you know, this yes. is a Star Wars movie, but it's a whole new story. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you know, it's you can talk about the the new trilogy, you know, that we now have part one of, in in the sort of Lord of the Rings schema, where it's like it took movie three for these really critically lauded movies to finally win a Best Picture Oscar, mm-hmm. right? Well, Return they were all the nominated. King. They though. were nominated, right? So 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 uh, Force Awakens was not, but I I wonder if these these rogue movies these sort of one-offs these star wars stories will kind of confuse maybe even that narrative a little bit so i don't know i mean maybe they'll be eager to give to award these movies sooner um rather than wait till the end of something because there is no actual really discernible end no there's not like a sense that like when you get the third one you're done right but that's what i had in mind with it's kind of like this time instead because there was no end they they might have done it on the front end right exactly yeah so we'll see well, back to another spinoff. Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is Speaking a, of Theory of Everything speaking stars. Speaking of Everything stars, Eddie Redmayne stars as a... Oh God, that's... Wow. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. As yeah. a Newt Scamander, who is a uh, kind of very peripheral figure in the Harry Potter books that J.K. Rowling wrote. And now they're, they're kicking off kind of a whole franchise about him. He's a monster hunter in 1920s New York. They debuted a new trailer during the MTV Movie Awards, which Richard and I talked about last week, the prestige event. Mm-hmm. of the year obviously mm-hmm. and it looks charming and expensive and well produced and not that much like the Harry Potter movies themselves but I don't and know and it's directed by um, a, lo- a Harry Potter director by David Yates yeah yeah so so it has it's all in the family I think it looks charming I you know there has been talk about Warner Brothers having not the best you know past 12 months or something for various reasons uh, Superman Batman Superman not performing as well as hoped and so this is like okay well at least we're going to get back into the Harry Potter the reliably profitable and I don't know. I see this seems like a smaller movie, and maybe, you know, it's it's not part of a of a trusted saga of you know novels and and smaller than Rogue One or smaller than the other Harry Potter movies. Smaller than the other Harry Potter movies, certainly. You know, and it's a period piece, and it's more contain another. You know, it's also a period piece like the Star Wars movie. <laughs> but I don't know. I think it looks cute. It mm-hmm. doesn't look th- like as like exciting as as maybe it could. Yeah. I mean, Oscar-wise, they do love them some Eddie Redmayne. Yes, Um, they do. And, you know, I could see him just sliding in on the sheer fact that everyone just likes him a lot. He's world-class. Which felt like what happened with the Danish girl. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Well, well, yes. 
yeah. I don't know. Well, but, his co-star won an Oscar, but yeah. it was a competitive Best Actor field. Anyway. But he, uh, yeah, he really can work a room, and he's one of the most charming people around, and he puts the time in. Um, but but separately, I, I think it looks kind of cool. As someone who was too old to really understand why the hell everyone was so excited about the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think it looks fun. I, I like the idea of kind of revisiting J.K. Rowling's idea of New York in whatever period yeah. that's supposed to be. The kind of like 1920s yeah and it's interesting i you know as a devoted reader of the books i don't believe she ever even mentions america like at all i don't think so either. um so so we have no context clues for what is going on in the united states right. uh, in this world of wizards and muggles and this, is, this is not there's not a book that this is based on it's based on a book that was like book of like uh, like a kind of a textbook for yeah. Harry Potter they and his friends, that right? Book as like a side, but there was no narrative thing. to it. It was just yeah. kind of yes. like a, an, a, an encyclopedia. In, in, in so essence, Eddie yeah. Redmayne plays the author of this exactly. textbook yes. about wild right. beasts, exactly. Right, okay. and I think speaking of Redmayne again, like I think something interesting about this is that you know he's had obviously critical and award success in the past few years, but this is really in some ways his first test. At, at the box office like as the lead of yeah. a big movie mm-hmm. um, I you know obviously he has the whole apparatus of Harry Potter behind him I don't think there are going to be a bunch of kids going to see because <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Redmayne's in it but you know I, I think it is it will be interesting to see him command a big sort of special effects project he has been in one before Jupiter Ascending oh, but he was the villain in that and you know that was not his movie yeah. Um, so well, I mean, and, I'm and curious he was in Les Mis as part of the ensemble. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But but again, no yeah. one was seeing that movie for Eddie Redmayne. So yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be really interesting to watch on a lot of levels. You're an interesting man, Mr. Scamander. Just like your suitcase, I think there's much more to you than meets the eye. Kicked out of Hogwarts for endangering human life with a beast. Yet one of your teachers argued strongly against your expulsion. I wonder, what makes Albus Dumbledore so fond of you, Mr. Scamander? First trip to America? Yes. Must get that fixed. Anything edible in there? Um, uh, no, no. Any livestock? Welcome to New York. And now we'd like to welcome Matt Patches, who is the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. And he's come up with a really simple solution to a very common question, especially at this time of year. What is the best movie of the year so far? Patches, why have you, what is your solution and why is it such a hard question to answer? Well, my solution is going to be there are many great movies that have already come out this year. And I decided to publish a list. I published the list that everyone publishes at the end of the year now, because when are people actually going to see these movies or have a chance to see them in the way that they're meant to be seen? Now, when they're actually in theaters. We published it like in January, right? Like you've been running this tally since the start of the year. February, because January, I couldn't uh, (laughs) make a case for fantastic movie, that many fantastic movies coming out in, in January. Especially, I'm not putting anything from Sundance. You guys talked a little about some of the highlights of Sundance, waiting for everything to come out. But this list was going to be a rolling compendium of the best movies. Movies that I wanted to tell people, like, there's no such thing as an objectively great movie. And you could tell, because if you read the comments on my article, <laughs> many people are like, where's Deadpool? 
who are you and why are you making the statement that these are great movies? Which is something that gets said on every top 10 list always. Absolutely. Why are these the best? Well, Never are... on mine because they always agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have comments Richard on Richard is well, the, objective, yeah. the objective yeah. authority. Yeah. I, I wanted to collect the movies that I was seeing every year and chasing more movies than ever and trying to see more than I ever have before. And the ones that kind of were great, you know, movies we walk out of the theater and say, I want everyone to be able to see this movie despite their tastes, despite what they consider great movies. I just think these are objectively great movies and provocative movies. And uh, they come out this early, you know, our narratives, the narratives you guys talk about on this podcast mostly concentrate on things that happen at the end of the year. Uh, and some things kind of carry on, you know, carry, marathon their way to the Oscars at the end. And I think we need to change the narrative by saying, yeah, these movies are great and they could be Oscar contenders by the end of the year if we still talk about them. If the problem is we only them. talk about them at the end of the year when we're supposed to talk about the best movies of the year. So what if we talk about them now? How, how many movies have you seen this year to get this list of 11? Oh, too many movies. Too many movies. I mean, luckily, when you're part of the critical community, you can talk to people and find out the critics who are writing for esoteric film journals what are the best right. movies that you're seeing? Because these mean, guys like see Jordan Hoffman. He, I, Jordan Hoffman, <laughs> our colleague from The Guardian, you know, is is at the Lincoln Center every weekend seeing Romanian films out the wazoo. Yeah. I'm, I don't have an entire life to live. I have a life to live, and I can't see every single movie, but I can see the best movies that everybody is but recommending to ballpark, me. Ballpark, how many movies have you seen that have come out this year? I've probably seen a hundred movies that have come what? out this year. And that's stuff you've seen at festivals too, right? Well, like, there's festival. I mean, there are festival movies, but I'm not including these on the list. No, yet. but like you saw something at Toronto last year that is coming out this year that you can oh, put on your okay. list or something like that, right? Yeah, you've that's seen 100 true. movies since you've January seen 100 first. movies that have come out in 2016. I think I have. I didn't even know 100 movies have come out. In <laughs> I think I've seen. It feels like I've seen 100 movies, okay. and I've certainly, you know, the list as it stands right now, I believe, is 11. Yeah, great movies. And if you see all the studio movies so every weekend, not many of them are going to be great. So, so 90%, you can get to 100 pretty easily. 90% of the movies you've seen this year have been shit. <laughs> right. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest thing, too. And when I'm talking to my boss about putting this list together, and considering the audience, too, do you want to publish a list that is a lot of foreign films that will alienate? I mean, that's when we talk about the comments, when we talk about uh, introducing movies that no one's talking about into the stream and try and convince people to really go see great movies, you can scare them away by having, you know, a Romanian, a dry Romanian comedy or uh, a French art film. I think and, your number two is a Chinese movie. Yeah, number two is Mountains May Depart. Fantastic What do these film people want the you to put experience. on here? Batman versus Deadpool. Superman? Well, they I mean, do Deadpool. <laughs> and Deadpool is tough because Deadpool is a good movie, actually. I, I laughed. I became my uh, eight-year-old self and giggled through a lot of Deadpool, but I didn't love it, and I didn't walk out wanting to recommend it to everyone. And on Thrillist, you know, that's we do a lot of recommendation. I've been trying to figure out how to combine the service of telling people what to see, which is not something a lot of critically-minded people want to do because they want people to have their own opinions and be challenged. But I also want people to go out and see these movies. So then you have Zootopia next to uh, in uh, The Wave, the which wave. is this fantastic action movie. Uh, Norwegian? Norwegian, right. And I, 
on this list, you'll find that I don't reference the country the, of origin right. very often <laughs> um, because I don't want people to know that the wave, which is taking the Roland Emmerich model and squeezing it down into a little Norwegian village, fantastic character work, really cool effects. I don't want to tell people it's from Norway. It's just a great movie. At so some have point, you thought at about some point they're going to realize that Roar Uthog is not an American <laughs> director, but that name. is a great action movie. To me, this name. looks like Force Majeure too. Is that, is that uh, Force Majeure has a little more? It's a little more thematically challenging than and the way. And I think the the avalanche and force majeure is not a big CGI creation. That's it's, true. It's just kind of like this thing that happens in the, in the background, <laughs> basically. Yeah. It's, it's like the story that the force majeure would have been if the avalanche had actually tried to kill them. Right. So as this list grows, I'm curious, how do you think, what's the strategy going to be to be like, okay, I really like this movie, but is it number four or is it number eight? Right. I mean, how is that going to work? Well, I do think that, yeah, what's weird about ranking the movies as right. I go to is that on some level, there's the worst of the best. Right, right. And I think of ranking as a, as a priority list. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. my number one is Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie. You guys might be talking about it at some point. Number two is Mountains May Depart, a new film from Jia Zhangke. And it's amazing, you know, a triptych of Chinese culture that has so much to do with what is happening in America right now. It's two really, really wildly good. different movies. Yeah. And I'm pr- prioritizing them. For people, basically. That's what I think of the ranking. Like, yeah, get to the wave, which is number 11 at some point. It's on VOD. Maybe you'll catch it there. But like if a movie pops at number one this week, and I'm hoping people come back to this article each week, and that's how we're kind of promoting it and structuring it. Like, here's a new entry. People will get to the theaters. We're trying to gamify it right. on some level. The 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 yeah, excitement of new movies, great movies that are actually happening right now. I think people feel the need to go see whatever the studios tell them on a given weekend. Like, everyone had to go see Batman v Superman because it's an event film, right? But there's so much else out there. If you want to see... There's, there cannot be a narrative about there are no good movies for adults. There are no good movies for film lovers. There are always good movies, and here they are. I, I have an idea for gamifying this. Yeah. You tell people, if you see three of these foreign-sounding movies and prove <laughs> it, I will add Deadpool to the list. <laughs> It's about ethics yeah. in uh, the champion Ryan Reynolds right. for best yeah, yeah, actor. Yeah. Take a photo of your stub from Mountains Made to Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which everyone should see because you're right. If 1,000 readers do that, you'll right. add Deadpool. Right. There you but go. there is something, I mean, like, Thrillist is built on uh, food, which I think is what it's most That's famous true. for at this point. And, like, there's things like the Eater Heat map where you're like, oh, I need to go see this restaurant. I need to go to the place in Sin Line for a cronut. Like, people do that about food. Like, they want to get on the hot thing at the time. And there is a way about movies that don't have that that, that can be done. Yeah, and you want to turn people into tastemakers, too, right? We want, I mean, everybody listening to this podcast to go off and exalt these movies and tell their friends. I want people to see Krisha, this small A24 movie. American. Which, it's an American film. It's basically like Terrence Malick took his camera to Thanksgiving dinner and <laughs> watched it all go down. And if it's that's hell, not on the poster, it needs to be uh, starting now. Our own Krista Smith was on the South by Southwest jury that awarded it uh, its award. Yeah. It is an right. incredible, yeah. tiny little movie, but you know, it won an Independent Spirit Award last year. So I don't really know how the Independent Spirit Award windows work right. because it just came out in March. And it still won the Cassavetes Award. It'll be a little Goldman investigation. (laughs) Yes, please. What are the actual windows for these (laughs) awards? Because, yeah, I guess it's out of contention for this year. Well, maybe not for the Oscars. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Um, But it's totally, you know, if you were impressed by Beasts of Southern Wild, Ben Zeitlin, who exhibited this kind of momentous vision and carried him all the way from Sundance to the Oscars. There's no reason why this guy, Trey Edward Schultz, who cast his family 
in this movie. His aunt plays the main character, Krisha, who is a total addict. And if you're tired of addiction portrayals, this one is tender and psychotic and the whole movie, like set in Thanksgiving dinner, you can tell it's a very stressful time and not an easy movie to watch. But this guy could go all the way. Like he mm-hmm. is a best director candidate for me just because of these sweeping camera movies. It's incredible, but it's also this kind of movie. It's not going to be in the conversation by September. It's not going to be in the conversation when we start, quote unquote, talking about award contenders in that window. So how do you well, get people there? Also, I mean, just to talk about awards, since that's ostensibly the theme of this podcast, (laughs) a lot of these movies probably aren't going to actually play into this year's Oscar race, but the people involved, if you can keep them in the conversation, the people involved will someday make something Mm -hmm. a little more Oscar friendly, right? I mean, that's that's, got to be part of the equation here. Yeah, that's what the Cassavetes Award kind of does for people at right. the independent and the independent spirit awards as a, as a whole is kind of a, a stepping stone for look at these people take them seriously go finally go watch their movies because you were too scared throughout the entire year uh they will alienate you they are horrifying or they are so romantic and you'll, you'll be drunk by the end you you were scared to see these non-studio movies go see them so the sequence yeah. is you get make it onto <laughs> matt's list in <laughs> april yeah you next year you make an Oscar movie, and then the year after that you're in a Star Wars or Harry Potter uh, franchise <laughs> oh, yeah. spinoff. Mm-hmm. Now finally get paid. Now this now this list sounds like a curse. <laughs> uh, a three step path to riches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah set out by. But you were getting patches. as rich as these people are in these spinoffs. Like yeah. this would be a great. Yeah. You know, there could be a payola model here for you too. If you think about <laughs> right. it. Right. Yeah. Well, Marvel's paying me to this Batman, not Batman v <laughs> Superman, not including it. So I'm making loads. But I, I should say too that this, you know. When I'm talking about the best movies of the year, I'm talking about Clover, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, putting that... Yeah, Zootopia's up here. Yeah, against some of these more esoteric, quote-unquote, films. And 10 Cloverfield Lane, I mean, expertly directed. But does that does that kind of movie stand a chance for best original screenplay by the end of the year? Are we still talking about it by then? Are we remembering how good it is? I think that's the hardest part about talking about the best movies of a given year. Because you forget... Memory is tough. So, I, you yeah. know, part of this is like almost like journaling to remember what is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And calling it great when you see it. I know that I've certainly, when I've worked on like a, a top 10 of the year list, I've had to go back and read reviews that I wrote, you know, in March or April and be like, oh, I actually did like that movie. <laughs> right. right. You know, because your opinion of sort of changes or you kind of forget how you felt about it. So I like this. And one thing I do like also about this list is that is the idea of the repetition is that if I'm going to go back and look at a new entry, you know, uh, in week six of the project or week 10 of the project, I'm going to be, re- be reminded of the movies that have been on there since the beginning. So I'll keep seeing that name. I'll right. keep seeing Krisha. I'll keep seeing Zootopia, whatever it is. And so hopefully these movies will kind of burrow their way into people's heads, right? And it'll become part of their consciousness and maybe eventually they'll go see them. And I think that's where the ranking helps me too as someone who wants to convey like what is great to people and what, you know, Mike and and the rest of you guys, do you feel that the work you do about telling people about movies changes the narrative of the Oscars? I mean, on some level, I think it does because we are talking about narrative over and over and over again and we're talking about them like a horse race and it becomes an actual horse race because of that. It doesn't start necessarily with the narratives. It starts with us believing in the narratives. So can you change the game by believing in a narrative now? 
I, are you asking me? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's. A, I What's think your power? <laughs> I have no power, but and and I'm and I'm pretty sure that the voters don't pay any attention to us. But I think that the the, the press. Oh, I don't do. think that the publicists true. and the press people do. The publicists who are the people who put the movies in front of the voters pay attention to what we say, which is, yeah. it's it's a very. Uh, we should say process. we 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 mean we as a general. Yeah, yeah not, not just this, us, not right. specifically. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Writers in general. I mean that. Yeah, when you go to festivals like Toronto or even Tribeca, which is happening this week, they are paying attention to what you say, so they can sell the movie or promote the movie or put your quote on the DVD box or right. put the laurels on it. Like it's all part of a system that you know starts now with a list like yours. So it's, yeah. it's a it's a slow process, but eventually your attention to Krisha could lead A24 to say, oh, maybe we will send DVDs of right. this. That's yeah. There's no question that by by championing the hell out of something, you can at, at least make the people involved in it think maybe we have a chance yeah. and we should invest in this. I think that that's that's true. And if you give them all these quotes here <laughs> for their screeners that's for true. their well, you know take it I mean, whether or not that right. yeah. Yeah. no but i mean i don't in other words you know by writing this you're giving it to them you're you're yeah. you're setting you're starting well, the hacky. framing process no, 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 like, i don't mean it that way Matt, yeah, but, but i mean that's the you know you celebrate a movie and then it kind of becomes part of this like vicious system of uh, awards campaigns but that's, but then uh, the dark side of this is going to be when you find a new number 1 get ready for the cranky email from uh richard linklater <laughs> team oh, right. and and if that's, that happens to you seven times this year it's going to be that's kind of already happened and i yeah. feel a little bad because um well i won't name names but one Stephen studio. and Joel Cohn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were tweeting all about it. <laughs> the Cohen Twitter account. Those Zootopia mm-hmm. bastards. Yeah. Just... <laughs> what, one yeah. of the smaller studios representing one of these films tweeted about the movie, like being number whatever on the list. And then by that week when they had tweeted it, they were looking at something old because it had kind of yeah. <laughs> down. Yeah. Well, that's tricky. But I mean, it's, it's, all, it, it's all best movies of the year. But that's an yeah. important thing. That, that is an important thing for them to understand is if they go around saying number one on Thrillist lists, like that's subject to change because right. This thing is a living document. Yeah, and we're all yeah. people. Like your opinion, like Richard was saying, like your opinion changes from March to November. Right, but you know how publicists think; they want to like yeah. inscribe that forever <laughs> on the top of the you know DVD box. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that this list is at least incepting you, Mike, because now you want to see Creative Control, which is a movie you probably have not talked about on this podcast at all. We have not. No. I, there's a lot of stuff I want to see on here. Played to it be perfectly on and won awards at South by Southwest. Uh, how many of the movies on your list are on VOD now? I would say half of them. All of them are almost... There's only one film that I don't think you can watch is in Limbo. Release Limbo right now. Which, which is? played is Philip Garel's <laughs> really arty French romance film, uh, In the Shadow of Women, which played for a very limited time. Well, here it says York, Mountains but... May Depart is in Limbo, too. Is that wrong? Uh, do you have an intern updating these th- where, where you can <laughs> yes, see Yes, I do things? have an intern. Me. My soul yeah, yeah, right. uh-huh. is the intern constantly updating this. Um, but we're, I'm pretty good. We do it every week. and So this week is going to have some new additions, actually. I'm very excited. Oh, yeah. They're going to be up by the time this podcast goes out? That is the hope. But new releases, the uh, Green Room, another A24 I'm dying to see release that too. Uh, from Jeremy Solianet. He did Blue Ruin, which is this taut little thriller. And Green Room is uh, an extravaganza of violence and punk rock and is not an Oscar movie on any level. I'm trying to think of what awards show would actually consider it. Independent it spirit? No. Uh, maybe. It could be. Saturn but awards? It's just expert filmmaking yeah. and it's you know it's it's this is patrick stewart as the crazy nazi as a right? neo-nazi yeah coming after a bunch of punk rock kids it's a documentary <laughs> <laughs> just, kidding, just kidding just kidding for decades it's <laughs> yeah, and anton yelchin who i think is amazing yeah and emergent yeah. poots and 
uh, Aaliyah Shawcat, they are very in tune with the, the punk rock vibe. And the whole movie has a kind of head slamming punk rock attitude. And it's awesome. Yeah. But so what I like about this list is that if you write down every great film that you see, not just the top 10, not just, you know, when you get caught up in the idea of prestige, your list can be formed into something homogenous with everyone else. Like these are the best movies because we've been talking about them the most this season. Um, And here at least I can remember, yeah, Green Room is right up there with whatever Scorsese is putting out, you know, silence at the end of the year, this big prestige picture. If Um, you feel that way. If I feel that way. And, but I do because it's definitely going on the list. Well, you're right. Martin Scorsese's movie might not make the list, which would be awesome. Or it might be number one and Green Room would be 27. And then are they up there together? Right. And the other movie that's going to be on the list is uh, Barbershop 3. Mm. And which is, I don't know that's if anyone... That's shocking, I'm, judging from the trailer. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's you know... That's why they make the movies. A very specific movie with a, a continuation of a franchise that I think only a portion of America saw. Uh, and a lot of people might not give the time of day, and they should, because it's fantastic. It's a smart script. I keep comparing it, you know, I spent college going to, like, August Wilson plays off Broadway and on Broadway. And I'm just like, this is right. This is August Wilson. This is fantastic writing. This is best original screenplay material. It's so funny, and it's confronting, you know, the race issues in America right now. And this is a good script. And they're funny actors. I was laughing my ass off. It's great. I need to see the Patches trailer for this because the the trailer I saw did not look August Wilson. It, but it's also sitcom-y, you know? It's yeah. laid back and mm-hmm. it's 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 a step above a lot of other comedies that, that shoot that's down. And, but it's not a movie that's going to get that consideration at the end of the year. No doubt. Well, and but you could maybe work to, to, to change that. Sure, I, hope like, so. yeah. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, well, I, I thought a lot about you know, the conversations you guys had on this podcast about diversity in the Oscars. Obviously, that was a huge narrative around the award season last year. And like, how do we actually make the Oscars more diverse? We go and see these movies and we right. champion yes. them and we force people to go, like consider them because we're going to call them great early on. So, right. Hopefully. Is there anything right. you're looking forward to in the next month or so that like you that could be on the list or I mean what what's kind of the bright spots of spring? I'm waiting. For you? Well, I'm waiting for a big blockbuster right. to be really great because I, you know, the Deadpool fans think I'm crazy, but Early I actually tweets about Captain America suggest it could be. You know what? It's possible. Every time, you know, we have a gluttony of Marvel movie trailers leading up to all of these films and I get so dizzy from all of the promotion and then i go see a marvel movie and it's usually pretty great yeah so i'm hoping captain america's war could be fantastic but i was looking over the summer lineup and i'm just like man there is it's yeah. not yeah. looking good <laughs> yeah this summer for like just a stand you know where is mad max fury road right. i don't think yeah. i don't think it's there this mad summer. max fury road was like a black swan like that's a once every 20 years kind of blockbuster yeah. so i don't know but that is a that is a pretty good example of what you're talking about right i mean i think it was partly just blogger love that kept that movie afloat yeah. right and I was very skeptical of that in the wake of Drive, right? I kept thinking, is this Drive 2 oh, or yeah. not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it wasn't. So maybe that's a sign of like everybody maturing and being taken more seriously and also like tampering, tempering their enthusiasm in a constructive way. Yeah, yeah. well, we'll wait till there are death threats about whatever Christopher Nolan movie doesn't get a, a Best Picture nomination. Oh, God. And then... I hope Matt Patches doesn't get death threats over this <laughs> list. That's my big concern. Well, I mean, you, you, I want, you want a positive. few, I mean, just to, really, you know, to prove that people are <laughs> Well, it would be good marketing engaged. hooks for you. Right, exactly. Matt Patches, uh, I guess I'd be remiss if not saying that we host a podcast together that other people can listen to if they like hearing us talk to each other. It's called Fighting in the War Room. It's on iTunes. But uh, 
also thank you for coming on this one. I'm glad there's no bad blood. Look thank you for having me. Hey, ladies. Party later tonight at the baseball houses. You should be investing this energy elsewhere. Lesbians. I like the quiet guy in the backseat. Oh, there's nothing here. Yeah, I can see how that could get threatening. New guy coming in, getting all the ladies. That was a joke. I got your joke right here. Did he just call it a joke? That's what he implied. So all three of us have managed to see what I think is one of the best movies of the year so far. We might all agree. Uh, Everybody Wants Some is a new movie from Richard Linklater. It's been out in limited release for a week or two. I think it's opening wider this week. People will have a chance to see it eventually. It's been called a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused. And uh, Mike, as the number one Dazed and Confused fan that I know, probably. Does that make sense to you? Is that a sensible way to describe this movie? Yeah, I mean... it is. And I think, in fact, if you really think about Linklater's body of work, which I've probably done more than someone should, you can see it fitting absolutely right after Days and Confused. You know, Days and Confused, the, there's the main character who is a pitcher who's like whatever he is, junior, uh, freshman in high school, or he's about to go into high school and he meets all the high school players. Like, this is probably him four years later entering college mm-hmm. it's it's about a you know a pitcher who he's a lot cooler than that dorky kid with the long hair in days and confused but and then if you think about slacker the beginning of slacker i don't know if you when the last time you saw that is it's linklater himself i think with a baseball mitt or somehow signifying he was a pitcher linklater he was yeah. a ball player in texas arriving in austin and getting in that taxi and having that weird conversation and then there's an accident and it moves on to the next person but but this kind of slides in actually between Days and Confused and Slacker in my mind at least as like the next, you know, this middle chapter of Linklater's life. And you kind of see that this was like a wild fun chapter that probably influenced Days and Confused too cuz cuz it's all about a guy arriving at college and immediately getting you know, taken in by this group of base fellow baseball players. Oh, he's on the baseball in the, team. He's on yeah. the baseball team. And their crazy fraternity house that they have in Austin. And I you know, and, and so then the the film, it's only after you finish it that you think, Oh, okay, we just got a tour of, you know, adolescent co- college age social groups. Uh, circa 1980, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to see the punks, you get to see the jocks, you get to see the performing arts people. There's disco. There's like that Cotton Eye Joe country bar, hick bar thing, and and so it's kind of like this tour. And then and then he's got in the background this theme about finding your own thing and not worrying about what you're supposed to do, which is very Linklater and why I love him. Are uh, one of the reasons. But the but front of it the entire time is just the guys being idiots which is very reminiscent of Days and Confused it's very very male mm-hmm. very like dude and and I, I think my expectations were too high coming off the Days and Confused thing because that is probably my first or second favorite movie of all time and I think it also being older and looking at young guys do this, it's less charming than when you're <laughs> young. You just want them it, to grow up. And watching older people do it. It's no longer aspirational. It's, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah when I saw McConaughey do that, right. all right, all right, all right, right. thing, yeah. and I was, whatever I was, five years younger than him, it was like, holy shit, that's you didn't, amazing. You didn't realize how pathetic he was. Yeah. It took a while, right? Yeah. To, I mean, no, you knew he was pathetic, but it was also like amazing pathetic, like right. fascinating, mysterious. <laughs> yeah. And now these guys are a little bit dopey at times I'm like all right but I think so there's there was a few cringy moments for me but overall I thought it was it was really good yeah and I think those cringy moments in some ways have more to do with the time when the movie was made than anything else because you know Days and Confused that's what 93 thereabouts uh, 94 Um, and uh, there wasn't 
quite the same appetite or 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 style then for really raunchy humor, sort of elevated sex talk in you know in the way that there is now. And so I think a lot of the stuff to me that plays as cringy. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Mike, or you, Katie, but um, for me, I thought some of the sort of like the really like blue kind of dirty raunchy banter was a little over the top in a way that I thought I think the Days Confused exhibits like a real naturalism for the way that kids talk. You know, they're, they're, they they like to shock each other, but it's not so kind of operatic in the, you know, the way they talk about sex and things like that. So that felt kind of particularly modern about Everybody Wants yeah. Some. But I think I think in general, yeah, it does capture that. that... Uh, it's oddly, the thing that gave me the most like embarrassed perspiration yeah uh and it was early on and i ended up settling into the movie more was when they all sang um rapper's delight together <laughs> oh uh, yeah in the car mm-hmm. and i just thought i don't know there's some first of all they understandably probably he just doesn't even address what would have presumably been more complicated racial right dynamics well, there's, there's with the one black the player yeah. on the team yeah but for all of them to be like unselfconsciously, I'm sure that happened knowing Linklater. Like, I'm sure that was real, but it was just, I don't know, for me to watch a bunch of 25 year old actors do yeah. rappers delight for like way too long, I was just like, oh. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but eventually, you know, you, you, I, I think the, the, the charmingness of it takes over for the most part for me. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, I'm I'm a huge Days and Confused fan. That was a very touchstone movie for me uh, as a kid. And, um, uh, one thing I love about that movie is that it is this kind of anthropological kind of ramble. I mean, we we do spend time with Wiley Wiggins as the f- fresh, soon to be freshman baseball player. We do spend time with one of the London brothers. I can never remember which, Jason or Jeremy, uh, as this Jason, sort of football star who you know, and all his friends. But we also spend time with the stoners. We also spend time with the girls, and we also sp- you know the nerds, and you know it, it's kind of a, a nice kind of panorama of, of of lives. Everybody wants some focuses more intensely on just one group, and I think that that's fine because in college you tend to sort of find your tribe and stick with them at least especially in the early days but i think the movie loses some of its kind of wisdom in not um and has to kind of pump things up a little bit just to keep people engaged um than they would if they it was a little bit more like of a of a kind of altman-esque yeah there's definitely like a wisdom factor that i think you know people kind of come into it and kind of wonder like what have i learned what has changed like it it takes place over the course of a weekend so you're not really getting change out of these characters it's not like our hero, whose name I can't remember now, Jake. Uh, Jake, who it's not like he gets at the end of the week and he's like met a girl and talked to her, but like that's yeah. kind of about all that's happened. But I like the anthropological st- uh, study element of it that we're spending time with these guys. And I think Richard, you and I talked about this briefly that it's like very like dude and very straight white macho world. But I find it very appealing in a way that I don't in a lot of movies that do that and kind of seem less aware that they're presenting this exclusively white male right. world. That these guys are kind of in their own bubble and they're dumb, but they're night they're they, you know cute to each other and also mean to each other and there's a there's an appeal in kind of just getting to be a fly on the wall of this world that like I personally didn't you know I didn't go to a college like this one like I didn't really know guys like this but I do feel like I know guys like this at the same time well they're not they're not necessarily dumb which is one of the interesting things I, and one character is definitely dumb uh, played by Temple Baker he's the one who's like cats shouldn't be in the refrigerator uh, <laughs> which possibly I was on the lookout for like are there lines that we're going to remember forever and he's that was probably like the one most of them the most southern preppy looking of them like he yeah. looks like he kind of like walked right out of fraternity rush week in his like polo shirt yeah he has like a head like a fist you know <laughs> 
and um and but then there's Glenn Powell whose character is very very kind of witty and thoughtful and talks about like you know people in this group are probably about as smart or dumb as people in any other group sure. and and even the kind of main character you can see that's your Linklater stand-in this is a guy who's like yeah he's a star pitcher but he's also very thoughtful and perceptive and and like will go along with the nonsense but also kind yeah. of sees through it but I did I think the Glenn Powell character was also a little bit challenging for me and and it it may be in a good way because he was so not he it was I was having a hard time believing him early on because he was just student. so like yeah loquacious and funny and brilliant and and I was just thought I don't I think peer pressure would have prevented him from acting quite like this right you know if I from what I know about hetero male peer peer <laughs> right. pressure in college you can, you know but I don't know but but on, by the end of it I bought it it was yeah. early on I was just thought I don't know yeah I think that one thing that. Linklater doesn't do even when he's kind of uh, in in this movie and in others when he's you know showing these kind of fratty kind of you know they're 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 funny but they're kind of you know asses too is that he doesn't um, he's not anti intellectual really ever and so none of the guys in this in this kind of baseball frat are giving anyone shit for, you know, for being kind of this talky, loquacious kind of guy. And, no, you know, no one is giving them shit for having these sort of deep conversations in someone's bedroom, you know, while, while stoned. Yeah. But, like, you know, they're talking about big things. You know, like, it, it's kind of fine. Everyone just kind of goes with it. And I yeah. like that about those movies. I mean, you know, in, in Days and Confused, there are a lot of just, like, nice, earnest conversations between, like, popular kids who aren't really self-conscious about being serious or earnest or whatever and well let's remember this is the guy made before sunrise and before mm. sunset well, that's right. i mean that's yeah. his thing that's yeah. what yeah. he does and boyhood you and, know? yeah and so he manages to put them even into his kind of more like you know straight comedies and and i think i really like that and, he, and whether it's true to life you know whatever like i think it 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 creates a nice mood and i think that by the end of this movie you do see sort of the forming of a kid who really enjoys the the sort of you know, light hedonism of, of, of being on this baseball team, um, this, uh, you know, at this big school, but also has found, uh, an intellectual match in a girl. I mean, seemingly, and who has her own interests and, um, seems to be becoming more of himself rather than sort of an archetype of a, of a jock or whatever. Um, and well, I think he's very nice. similar to, the, to actually the Jason London character in Days and Confused yeah. too. I think those are all Linklater. Wiley Wiggins, yeah. Jason London, yeah. Blake, Blake Jenner in this movie yeah. playing, playing Jake. By the way, you guys, you Katie, you went to Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. Was that performing arts party? Is that what you guys got up to? Cause, cause I, I was... don't know. It looked very expensive for yeah. a college party. It like did, It was very yeah. well decorated and there was a lot going on. I saw it with Kia and he was like, you were in theater in college. I went to Fort and I was like, we just did what these guys did. We just drank and made fun of each other. We didn't, there was no costumes right. you know, at there, the parties. I mean, there were definitely like weird arty parties and like the idea of like someone doing a play in the middle of a party. I was just like, yeah, that. Oh, that. Really? Wow. Yeah, I can totally that see sounds that. Sounds But not yeah. nearly as elaborate. I mean, all, all of that is made with costumes and everything. You know, she's got this great Alice in Wonderland costume but i like the way that it dives into that and shows her world and has her in this concert in this play in the middle of a party that's so different from the party we saw at the baseball frat and i think uh, there's some uh, valid criticisms of how the role of women in this movie like even to the extent that it's focused on these guys like when women do come into the picture like they're not always treated as well-rounded as they could be <laughs> not um, really yeah but i think i think the way that the, the zoe Doyce's character that it goes into her world in this really authentic way and curious way uh, speaks really well. Of and the guys are kind of into it. Yeah, they are. You know, um, I was a theater major in, in, at Boston College, another Jesuit school. We went to, I had, there were a lot of theme parties, but they were just theme parties in someone's dorm room. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They, they weren't. Right, like, right. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right, Kitty. Like, I walked out of it kind of feeling like, oh, like, um, I wish there had been a, like a, a female character who had a little bit more.
anymore. But then I or thought he didn't about sleep it. Sleep with the guys. Yeah, like, that was, right. Like, all the female yeah. characters who get noticed like do hook up R- with these guys. Right. But then at the same time, I was thinking, well, you know, think about perspective. You know, I, I was a freshman in college and I lived in a dorm with all guys and like, you know, they were sort of tribal and just knew each other. And unfortunately, as it, I mean, it, that didn't it didn't stay this way. But at first, the women that they knew were sort of these entities that either they slept with <laughs> or didn't. And, you know, I, I it feels bad saying it, but like that was sort of true. And I, yeah. so I believe that at least. Yeah. And I think it's presented as a starting off point for at least our lead character played very appealingly, I thought, by Jenner, Blake Jenner, to sort of be- become more of a full person, you know, I think. Like, what, you know. what do we think of the title? Because that's, it plays into this right. concept, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically everybody's horny, everybody right. wants to, and, and right. I mean, it, it, and so part of it is a tour of how different social groups figure out how to get laid right that's basically the movie like at the punk show where they're all just thrashing themselves against each other eventually you're gonna hook up with someone who you like knock down on the floor Mm -hmm. right mating rituals of the 1980 you know adolescent (laughs) yeah um Mm -hmm. but no i think that there is like with all of his almost all of his movies a, a a slightly deeper philosophical kind of existential hook to that title you know i think it's about people there's a lot of people kind of grappling with the way they feel about the world and, and about life and stuff like that. And I, so I think that there is, I think that the sum that everybody wants, there's some, there's something else a little bit on, on, on an undercurrent there that yes. I like. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I tend to hook into on his movies. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. appealing nature of them setting it the first weekend of college when like, you're not just moving in and like finding new people. You're like really like being like, who am I going to You're be? starting your life as corny as that sounds. Yeah. I mean, no, you, you really know. are. And yeah. like, you, you know, you look back at yourself and you're like, you, you weren't really capable of processing how important that was then. But, mm-hmm. And these characters aren't either, but you kind of, you feel the tenderness toward them being like, oh, just, you know, do it, make a good decision. Like become the right person who you are going to be. And uh, I like that element of the title, too. It's very Linklater to have that compressed time frame, mm-hmm. too. You know, I mean, obviously, we've seen that a lot. Yeah, his um, last movie was the opposite, but... Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting... Well, well just to, or to play with time, to, to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to set a thing. And, and from the beginning, you get, like, all right, three days until mm-hmm. classes start. Last thing that I think we need to talk about is the crazy pitcher. Who is that guy? Oh, my God. That's so I think amazing. That... See, that felt really tonally different. Like, it felt like a Michael Showalter character out of What How to American it, it, Summer. It even looked like one. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that was what made me think <laughs> yeah. of it. I, yeah, that guy, he felt really... It's also funny that a different character is revealed as being 30 years old secretly. Right, because that, that guy, guy was felt definitely like, 30. Yeah, egregious. I don't know. That one felt like a weird tonal misstep to me. Well, Justin yeah. Street is his name, is the actor's name. I totally bought it. I was yeah. along for the ride with that. Uh, I yeah, I thought that this movie is a sort of a mix of Days of Confused and School of Rock and Bad News Bears. Like, and I think it, I think that middle ground strikes a somewhat awkward chord sometimes. But all told, oh, and I should mention for certain listeners, there's a lot of like cute guys in baseball pants in this movie. Yes. So well, Kyle McLaughlin, yeah. I mean, Kyle, and, um, and mustaches. No. Kyle well, Buchanan wrote a whole thing about how it's like the gayest movie he's ever seen. Yeah, I, and I, I I get where he's coming from. I, I and I sort of half agree. I would say, but yeah. <laughs> Just real quick before is both of your favorite Linklater movie, Days and Confused? Like, is that the one? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one I've seen the most, and it's like that's my comfort food of his movies. But I think that they're, I think that the end of Before Sunset, the second movie in that trilogy, is the best movie ending of all time. So mm. I think that's probably my favorite of his. I just want an excuse to mention Bernie, which is a movie I love. Oh, that's a great uh, movie. It's just yeah. funny that you say the word Bernie now, and it has a whole yeah. different meaning. Um, also, I really think. Um, 
people don't see Slacker anymore, and yeah. it's worth going back yeah. and watching. I, I watched it. That again. was his first yeah. movie, right? Yes. Yeah. And I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out, and just being like, "Oh my god!" Like head blown off. But I went back and watched it about a year ago, and it holds up. And it it's it's the kind of camcorder version of this world, mm-hmm. you know, or the next phase. Like after you leave the college, you go through that frat thing. Like, what do you do next? This freaky recession crushed thing in Austin. It's so good. It's just totally worth watching. What a great feeling to see a movie have your head blown off, and then that director goes on to have a great career that follows up on that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You were there from the start. So you're a freshman, right? Yeah. So tell me, man, how's this year's crop of freshman chicks look? <laughs> what, you gonna end up in jail sometime really soon? I know that. Fact. No, man. Yeah. No, man, I tell you. Yeah. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> and now we'll close with a chance to rewrite recent history in honor of the director of Everybody Wants Some, Richard Linklater. If we were in charge of the 2014 Oscars where Linklater was nominated for Best Director, who would have won that category? Just as a refresher, the nominees were Alejandra and Yuri Tu, who directed Birdman and won, Wes Anderson of the Grand Budapest Hotel, Richard Linklater of Boyhood, Bennett Miller of Foxcatcher, and Morton Tildum of The Imitation Game. Is this a, we were all team Boyhood at the time, I think. Is this an obvious Linklater sweep? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 w- I would say so. Part of me, though, um, you know, I think that Ant- Wes Anderson, it's not my favorite of his movies, but I think that he's obviously made a lot of great movies and has contributed a lot to cinema as we know it. So I would have been perfectly happy with that win, too. Yeah, I feel like either a Linklater or Anderson win that year would have been a great, like, here's for the indie guys who uh-huh. have been making yeah. these Texans who have been making uh, right. movies yep. in their own way for a really long time. And also with Inuritu having just won another statue, you really look at that and you're like, ah, yeah. how yeah. can we fix one of yeah. these? Not- and, and, you know, it, the Birdman is... It's prodigiously directed. I yeah, mean, it's, it is a it's, very, it's a it, huge accomplishment. Yeah, um, it's the that movie's problem is its screenplay. We'll not, we're not we're not going to get into that. <laughs> uh, the, 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 and the random nominee here is is Tildum for the Imitation Game. Indeed. That was probably Power of Harvey. But, you know, Tildum just has a new movie, Passengers, that's coming out this year mm-hmm. that just screened at CinemaCon this week. Or not screened, the, the a trailer. Footage, yeah. You know, so maybe that will be the one where you're like, oh, right, he's, you know, yeah, no, really good. Yeah, no, like his, uh, they predicted his power early on. Right, yeah. And I'm a big Foxcatcher fan, but Bennett Miller, I, yeah. I mean, it's a well-directed yeah. movie, but I think there's some bigger accomplishments. You know, here. the problem is they're not going to get another chance to reward a director for t- making a movie over 10 years. Yeah. And it's just insane that they didn't do it. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. And the thing is, it's astonishing that he pulled it off. Yeah. And it's and not the just a stunt. the fact that the kid grew yeah. up and, st- and kept making the movie and yeah. everybody kept back, came back every year. It's just never going to happen again. And then they fucked up. And you know, you talk about Birdman being like, oh, it looks like it's all one take, even though it's not. Well, Boyhood, it doesn't like have title cards that say age 12, age 13. Yes. He cut the movie together in this very fluid way that like that happens kind of in a, in a micro version of how life happens where you don't really notice someone getting older until you sort of do, you know? It's beautifully made and it doesn't rely on the stunt. It kind of, it uses that to tell a richer story. Well, and, and it yeah. upsets me that, you know, I, Birdman is fine. It's a good movie. I really enjoyed it. But, you know, because this one movie is telling a story that takes place in Texas and has people who don't necessarily look recognizably like Hollywood and the other one is like a story about a fucking actor having a midlife crisis... <laughs> And they give Tales that one time. all the awards because they're so fucking self-absorbed. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, well, sorry to get upset, but I'm still upset about this one. Well, we can start the Everybody Wants Some Best Director campaign now, I guess, to try to uh, <laughs> make up go. for it. Okay. Well, this is what... Th- so now, officially, we've given the Best Director Oscar to Richard Linklater. This is what this, uh, this whole exercise is about. <laughs> Congrats, Richard. <laughs> we've, we've gone back Congrats, and fixed history. Congrats, Richard. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us all writing at VanityFair.com and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike, how about you? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard. Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And we're all at Little Gold Men on Twitter. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for best strategy to get a date to leave your apartment goes to Matt Patches. You can scare them away by having, you know, a Romanian, a dry Romanian comedy. 